0: We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. So I cannot do a sermon more than a couple times, so I told you this morning that I'll I'll come with a little bit different. But for those who weren't here this morning, what we did was Acts 1-8, and we looked at really the essence of, of the character of our family, okay? And I'll sum it up. I heard a guy, when I was prepping this week, you go through random things. Sometimes you just search things, and a friend of mine who uh, used to pastor down in Temple, had put this thing together of a three-minute teaching of the book of Acts. (laughs) I was like, all right. So I put it on 1.5 speed just to make it a minute and a half because I was, (laughs) you know. (laughs) So you hear... you know, Daffy Duck going along through Acts. But he did Acts in like a minute and a half. So I think I can handle this morning in just a few minutes. But we looked at Acts 1-8, okay? And, and the essence of that is, just like tonight as we look at the Great Commission, is you've got these uh, two uh, bookends, in Acts 1-8, and it is the glory of God. And a lot of times we don't teach that, we teach the meat that you know you're supposed to go, the Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, but you've got to get glory down. You've got to fall in love with God. He needs to be your breath, your heartbeat. And it's not always like that. Don't let me, you know, ask my kids. I can bark, I can be rude, I can not walk in the spirit often. But man, when you realize it, repent, turn around, go find him, wherever you dropped him, go back and get him. That's who we need to be, okay? We need to be sandwiched in that glory all the time. When Paul talks about prayer without ceasing, I think what he's talking about is being in the presence always, that you're always including him in on the person you're talking to, the words you're saying, the things you're doing, how you treat your wife, your kids, your coworkers, the way you drive, yeah, gentlemen, um, whatever. Okay? And so we're always inspiring and expiring his presence in a, a symbolic way, but it needs to be that real. And then we got into uh, not just the concentric circles of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, but the, the emotional spiritualness that comes with that, that in Jerusalem, though it is the city of peace, it is the place of death, All right. Jesus died there. The Lamb of God who was born in Bethlehem, basically he goes 10 kilometers by the end of his life and he hangs on a cross there. And after you get glory, you've gotta get death. It's not just Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, though that four spiritual laws has led many to Christ, I think. You need to realize that sometimes that wonderful plan is not so rose garden-y. There's issues, okay? But even before that, death to self, death to self-ambition, death to anything that I must have that's outside of him. All right? I thought I was pretty unselfish. Then I got married. I thought I kind of got unselfish again. Then I started having kids. And I'm getting like Paul, just worse with age. I will be the worst of sinners by the time I die, I'm sure. But it's just this realization that there's so much of me that needs to die, that needs to continue to be set aside, all right? And then once you get death, that's where life comes out. It's the seed that's planted that dies in the ground, then it springs forth life. And it's from that life that you have something to give, And I'm not saying that you've gotta wait a long time. You're dying and living simultaneously, okay? If you come to Christ, if you know Jesus, it's time to start living as you're dying, okay? The first time I went out with Mel Summerall, this is what it looked like, okay? We, uh, we go to this place where you have to close the blinds for church because uh, there's three types of groups of people there, and one group is indigenous, and it's not legal to have them in. So we whisper our hymns. Now, I'm 23, maybe. Got nothing in my tool belt. Nothing. We're teaching BTCP, it's the first time we've tried it outside of this land, and we stand up there, and Mel gets up there, and he, for an hour he's like, okay, this is what the program is, this is what it does, this is what it's gonna look like for the next couple of years for you guys, And after an hour, he goes, and your teacher for the week will be James Arnold. That's the first I heard about it, <laughs> okay? Like, I knew I was going, I knew I was gonna participate at some level but I was just now thrown into eight hours a day for two weeks. That night, we had a little visit at the dinner table. I'm like, dude, what are you thinking? And he's like, yeah. I ran up the hills in World War II with a bayonet at 16. What do you say to that? (laughs) There's nothing to say to that. And so you grab your non-bayoneted bayonet and you run. And I'm not saying that's the best way. In fact, Mike Griffiths is back there shaking his head, I'm sure. But um, Mel was always there beside me. He was always there to catch me. He was always there to pull me off the stage if needed. All right? But we, we die and we live. We die and we live. You've got a testimony, share it. You've got a testimony and a little bit of a, a gospel truth, great, go get after it. Run back to your mentor and you need to find one of those like now, now. The day I showed up in Denton was 1988. I found Campus Crusade for Christ because they were the most zealots on campus. I said, where do you go to church? They said, Denton Bible. I came here. I never went anywhere else. I came here and I said, who disciples men? They said, Mel Summerall. I went and beat on his door and I didn't know it was like throwing meat to a wolf and that started our relationship, and we are 30-something years into that. Okay, Coming home this year, I had the privilege of leading a study with him on Tuesday nights. It was the highlight of my time here, just to be with him once again. So glory, death to life, and then we talked about risk, that when you get out into the Judea and the Samaria, it's no longer hometown team. You're not accepted here, you're a different dialect, you're different belief, you're different every day. And you got to live on a riskiness. And if you don't, your, your Christianity is going to get really dry. As I said this morning, you're probably verging on irrelevant, that you're like, this really doesn't matter to me. We become entertainment up here. Okay? What we're gonna see in tonight's text as we move from Acts 1-8 to more of the content of not just going out and what that looks like emotionally and spiritually, but from the character. Now, what is the content? We're gonna see that there are things that you need to know, things that you need to bring to the table. And we're typically good at addition if we get that far, that I can share my faith, And I can see somebody maybe come to Christ. If you get that far, I hate to tell you, I haven't looked at stats lately, but the percentage of people that even get that far is minimal. But if you get that far, you've got to complete the deal. And the deal is multiplication. You've got to get to somebody to where they too can reproduce. That's your goal. That's your lifeblood. That's your bare minimal. Okay? Okay? And I don't know how to stress that enough, but that's what we gotta do. Well we're dead. We're dead. So you got glory, you got death to life, you got risk, and then we come back to glory. Now, the 11 disciples, 11 men who in Acts, is going to say, turn the world upside down. We got 10 times that in this place. There's no reason didn't and shouldn't be turned upside down if we go activate the power of the Spirit in, in our places of work, our places of wherever. We need to get out there. 11 disciples. Disciples, there weren't that many. Ran into a guy named Domador. I think he's a supported missionary of ours now. He's no longer in Nepal. He was Nepalese when he's still Nepalese. That doesn't change. Uh, he, he's a Nepalese guy, but he was born into the Brahmin caste, okay? Which, if you know anything about the caste system over there, it's the high of the high. No one can touch him. Nobody. Just because, And that you can tell, kind of like we can tell here a little bit. We're kind of a melting pot. But just by looking at him, his features, his height, the way he carries himself. When I went to Russia the first time, 88, 89, I said, hey, you know, I'm an American. I said, oh, it's so easy. Your haircut, your shoes, and your smile. We don't do any of those things, <laughs> okay? And, uh, and I don't smile a lot, so... Um, But anyway, he had nothing to give at that point in time. And he's like, but I I, I love Jesus. They didn't even have a Bible in his language in 1988, 1989. They did a marriage, Uh, I remember talking to the couple, they did a marriage by reading the four spiritual laws and pronouncing them husband and wife. That's all they had, that's, okay, some of y'all weren't born then, but I was born then, 1988, 1989, that's not that long ago. And so he goes, what can I do? And so they realized that he could get on a plane, go into India, pick up Bibles, load them into a suitcase, come back to Nepal, and though they weren't in Nepalese, they were in a language that they could understand, and that he could come strolling through the airport and nobody was gonna touch him. And for the first few years of his ministry, while he's learning Bible and doing things, that's all he did. Every time they could afford a flight, I mean, he must have had Indian Air frequent flyer miles out the wazoo. Don't limit what God can do through what you see as limitations. These 11 guys, people looked at them, and they thought, man, they're not educated. Honestly, that education can slow you down if you're not engaging in an education with a heartfelt desire to see it turn you more to Jesus. I had a Greek professor who, and I'm, I've been in so many countries and I can speak about 50 words and about 50 languages and I am the most linguistic non-person in the world. I promise you, I've forgotten more languages than anyone will ever learn but I had this Greek professor who could take verbs and different functions of grammar and he could turn it into something that was so interesting. And God will do that with you. He will take something that you see as commonplace, but he's created you just for that. The 11 disciples went to Galilee. They're going where he promised. He had told them earlier that he was going to meet them out on this mountain. So to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. Again, just a notation here that God's promises always come true. There's never one in the Bible that doesn't come true. So if he has told you to do these things, he will gift you to do these things. He will enable you to do these things and he will protect you, provide for you. He will get you home, all right? To the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, catch it, they worshiped. If you were to ask me what is the one thing that we need to do better, it's worship. It's always gonna be worship. It's always gonna be catching his glory. It's always gonna be knowing him, getting profound moments with him, looking to him in a way that you just go, wow. And that doesn't happen unless you work on that relationship and it won't happen individually. I know in America, especially, we've got a lot of this solo Christianity, my quiet time, my place, my this, and I, I am an introvert and an extroverted career, and it, it drives me and my wife probably a little bit crazy. She, she fuels up being with me. I fuel up by throwing me in a hole, okay? Uh, our fifth uh, anniversary, we had just come back from, with Matt, or was it all there? On that stint, Mike and Carrie were there with us in Spain. I caught strep throat twice. Adam Richardson was getting married in Seattle and it was just gonna be just crazy. And I told my wife, I said, look, I'm no good to you. Let me drive to Seattle. You fly to Seattle, we'll do the wedding and then we'll do our fifth anniversary going down the coast of California. Because I was worthless without getting time with him they saw him and they worshiped there's glory there's understanding how is your personal worship do you schedule it do you make time for that do you look forward to that do you i know there's mornings when i'm just flipping pages perhaps or the prayers seem to bounce off the ceiling or whatever don't give up change things up read someone different Read someone you disagree with that makes you cuss. It'll at least keep you awake. (laughs) Do things to develop that. Okay? Your primary relationship is the Lord Jesus Christ. As Christians, we need to get that. When they saw him, they worshiped, and then here's the tension, the juxtaposition, and some doubted. And it's gonna happen. You're gonna have those days, all right? And that's why you need one another. Man, I'm sucking wind today. Oh, come on, James, let's go. It's tough today. I've been through several tough seasons in the 40 years that I've walked with the Lord. And some of them I'm just like, uh, my my go-to is I'm gonna go be a lumberjack. Because that that fits my introvert, okay? I'm just gonna go out to the forest and knock down things. Um, There's tension. Keep walking with him. He's gonna use that doubt and he's gonna get you to a place of belief and you're gonna be stronger for it. Surround yourself not with yes men or women. You need a few of those. You need a couple of Barnabases. Mike Shearer, he's a great Barnabas. But you need people who will just say, no, come on. Get up. It's time. Let's go. This is what we believe. They saw him. They worshiped. They doubted. And that is just spirituality. We have our flesh still attached. We have the spirit within. And it is the fight that we go through. And do not let Satan tell you that, oh, when you doubt, you must not be his. His promises are true. Satan's are lies to deceive you. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. And here's the bookend, the front bookend of our our study tonight, that you're going to have all authority here, and then down at the end of 20, you're going to have I am with you always to the end of the age. So all authority and I am here, all right? So what he's going to ask you to do in the middle, he wants you to understand on the front side I am all authority. What does that mean, all authority? I put the stars in place. I keep the earth in orbit. I keep it spinning on its axis. Your heart continues to beat because of me. Nothing happens. Your hair doesn't fall out. The sparrow doesn't hit the ground. We say these things, but you gotta believe this stuff. Remember Adam's cell this morning? If you were there, the story of the guy who's in a square meter cell and he takes it as God's providence for him to reach all the prisoners because his cell was the toilet that they gave him and he knew that everybody would come in and out of that cell. All authority. Man, pray, like Paul. You get a thorn, man, I'm a bad patient. My wife's a nurse and I'm her worst I don't like being sick. In fact, I'll ignore it till it almost knocks me dead. Uh, so you don't want to be around me during COVID time, because I'll just pretend, no, I'm not sick. No, I'm not burning up. <laughs> so just isolate from me, um, which will make my introvertedness very at peace. Um, all authority in heaven on Earth has been given to me. It's his. I had a friend named Bill Catula. He was from a place called Catula, Texas. I always go here when I think of all authority. He had a small ranch of about 700 acres and another ranch about 7,000 acres. And he had this house that sat out on it that was built in the 1800s. And when I needed those times alone, he would let me go down south of San Antonio and sit in his house and just watch deer and rattlesnakes and armadillos and it was great. But I could run If I wanted to, I could fish if I wanted to. I could do anything. Bill Catula owned the place. He gave me the keys and I could do anything I wanted out there. Wasn't gonna hurt anybody but myself perhaps. All authority. It's the man who, the Lord who, the God who made the universe, made the earth, created you, knows you intimately. He's in control. He's got it. He's got it. All authority in heaven and on earth. Those are bookends within the bookends. That's uh, what they call a mirrorism. It's from the beginning to the end, from the head to the toe, from heaven and on earth, from the highest to the lowest, everywhere there is no place you can go to the bottom of the sea or the highest mountain that he is not there and he is not sovereign. And you gotta get it because you're about to be asked to do the greatest educational conversion task in the world. You're going to be asked to swim upstream. Go. There's all kinds of grammar here that you could do, but basically the go goes with the make disciples and it's participles and all this stuff that I'm really poor at. I already told you that, so I won't even try to fake it. But it means that you are, it's an imperative, a command. that You need to Go. Go. There's a lot of theological gymnastics on that word. But go means go. Not sit, not stay, not hang around. It's go. Some of you will go a little further. But all of us are committed to the big go. Go. As I said this morning, some of us are rope holders and some of us go down the well on the rope. We all have the same hands, scars from working together. But go, go make disciples of all ethnos, of all nations. Like man, but they don't really wanna hear the message. We're in a day where it's not very welcome I mean, did they really write this thinking about that? First century was a lot worse than it was today. Nero liked to make torches out of you Christians. And in certain parts today, it's just as bad as it was then. You might get a little rejection here. Maybe someone might pop you for it, but doubtful yet it might be coming but we are to go and make disciples of all the nations you've heard the adage that you can't you, you can lead a horse to water but you can't make it drink well what we do is a salt blo- a salt block you need to become a salt block because that makes a horse thirsty And somehow you need to get into these people's lives in creative ways. Use as much creativity as you do for your greatest hobby or your your greatest profit or your work or your recreation, whatever it is. You need to be thinking about the people in your life the way you think about these other things and just go, hey, how can I make this a conversation? Because I promise you the need is there as we have found even in France, which I would say is some of the hardest people I've ever come against. But the need is there. You just gotta find a way in. There was a young Vietnamese French guy that used to hang out at the Nice Church. And he came three years. If we opened the doors, he was there. He was alternative, alternative. Uh, he had a lot of issues. He, he liked to use substances that weren't legit. I mean, all kinds of things going on. And I'd talk to him, everyone talked to him. And you know, he probably heard the gospel 10,000 times. I don't know. So finally, I'm just out in the parking lot with him. And I'm like, hey, man, why, uh, why you keep coming back? I have the gift of directness. And he was like, you know what? He goes, in all of France, I've never met people that were as loving as the people here. And as a pastor, my heart about exploded, you know. And that's, that's what you've got to keep in check. Truth and love, love and truth, truth and love. You've always got to keep that relationship going. You've got to keep an open door. There are times when you've got to say, no, I can't do, I can't go, I can't talk, I can't. But hey, I love you. I got a text today. I don't think this one's being filmed, so I think I can say this, but this morning I told you about a uh, coffee shop that I go to. The guy texted me, non-believer. He goes, hey, I know you're preaching today. I may not believe everything you say, but man, I believe in you. I'm like, really? And I wrote him, I said, this made my day. And then he comes back and he goes, hey, I watched it also on TV or whatever you were doing. And I'm like, oh my. And it means a lot to me because this guy's not an evangelistic target to me. He's become a friend. I mean, I love this guy, his wife, his kid. I would have never expected that. You've gotta be salt, you've gotta be light. Truth, yes, of course. But you gotta move in to where they are. And you've gotta overlook a lot of stuff. Stuff's tertiary. Don't get sidetracked. Satan wants you to get sidetracked onto these little itty bitty idiosyncrasies that God will work it out let them see the love of Christ in you. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Okay, what is this making disciples really about? And you got to get this because this is the multiplication. Because from, the, from here on, you're going to see that you're not just sharing a gospel track, but you're getting them to take it in such a way, a 2 Timothy 2.2 way, to where you have taught men who have been faithful, who you have taught other men who are now teaching other men. And that's your goal, and you're always looking for those. You're looking to see where God's moving, and just keep pursuing, and to keep training, and to, if you don't know, go find an answer. You know, get a Mel Summerall to teach you, and and just keep passing it out, passing it out, passing it out. Baptizing them, you know, to us, we've kind of we've we've taken the sacraments, unfortunately, and we've downplayed them a little bit. All right. Uh, if I were in charge of the churches back in France, which I'm not, but if I were, I would do I would do communion every week because it's a statement and it says something. I talked to a man this morning. I said, Hey, what brought you down, Bob? He goes, oh, this, uh, I said, Yeah, what do you think? He goes, Well, you know, I just needed to find a place to where I could do communion again. He'd been away from the church for a long time. I hope you're not here tonight. If you are, I won't name you. I, but, um, and I was like, oh. And so you came to Denton Bible and he goes, yeah. And they did communion and I just knew it was home. And I was like, you came on the right week. Yeah. yeah. And that's okay. But baptism is kind of something that you just do because you, you said the prayer, you accepted faith in it. But in this culture and in the culture where my friend in Nepal was this morning, it's worldview change. This is in Muslim cultures where you start getting persecuted. You can say you like Jesus all you want, but if, when you get baptized, it's a statement that I am moving from this position to this position. That I am leaving this behind and I am taking on a new identity. And so when you're discipling people, you're not just passing on content. You're passing on a lifestyle. You're passing on a worldview. Everything changes. There was a guy, Jerry Barton and I both worked on. We tag teamed this guy at North Texas when, when uh, we were both doing our grad degree there. Jerry's an incoming elder here. And this guy was just, well, I can explain him in, in two words, rugby player. Okay, so he just bled a lot. He smelled a lot. He hurt a lot. He hit a lot. He was just rough. He would pick on me and I was half his size and I'd be coming down the aisle. We we're both grad students. So you'd think education center, you know, but every expletive would come out of his mouth and he would point at me. and goes, oh, you're that Christian dude. You know, and I was just like, dude, John, lay off, you know, love you, bro. What am I doing? And, and I just had this odor to him. And we just kept loving on him. And Jerry and I would laugh in the teacher's area together just going, dude, this is crazy. Well, I think, I'm not sure, but I think it was Jerry who led him to the Lord. And John was a big, promiscuous type of guy. I'm walking down, and this is like six weeks after, and I've gotten used to not getting poked in the chest and thought, oh, you're that Christian guy. You know, now he's kind of humble and he's looking at me like, Got something to teach me? I mean, uh, sorry, should I, you know, bring you flowers? What's going on? And so I saw him in the hallway and he just looked down and I was like, hey, what's going on? And he's like, man, some buddies came in town, went out, we got drunk, chased some women. I'm like, oh dude. He was, I said, how did it all end? He goes, no, no, nothing happened, but it could have. I'm like, how do you feel about that? No, I feel horrible. I said, praise the Lord. He goes, what do you mean? I said, how would you have felt about that six weeks ago? He goes, man, I would have felt like it was just a normal weekend. Like, you've changed. You've changed. We're looking for that. Where sin is no longer tasteful and righteousness is desirable. You need to train people to love the righteousness of God baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and of the Holy Spirit. So you've got all parts of the Trinity going here. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So their worldview has changed, their actions are changing, they are a new creation living in a different way. To teach, you need to learn. If you haven't learned you either just got to Denton Bible or honestly, you're, I don't know. You've got so many opportunities here. You go find my buddy Charles Stoffus and you sign up for anything he teaches, all right? You get into a small group. If you've been taught but you feel like, "Eh, I'm lacking a little bit, go find a BTCP class. Talk to Mark Maddox or Mike Shearer. Chris Cobble, we got plenty to load you for bear. To teach, you need to be taught. You don't have to have the teaching gift. This is not something only for teachers. It's like evangelism is not only for evangelists. I'm not an evangelist, but I've got to do my part. So I found how to do my part. My part is I walk into weird places, meet weird people, and try to love them because I was a weird person. I don't know if y'all remember James Skinner, just old James Skinner, gregarious type of guy. We walk into a room, and he knows everybody in the instant. And he used to say to me, he goes, you find the strangest person in the room and go off into a corner with them. Like, yep. I said, we're a good team. You go tell everyone about Jesus, I'm gonna go talk to the one no one else will talk to. Know yourself, figure it out, figure your style. You don't always get to work within your gift frame, but as you can, make it happen, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, the other end of the book shall fear. I am with you always to the end of the age. I have all authority. I am always with you. We saw this morning he is glorious. He has given us the breadth of the earth to spread out across. He has told us exactly what it is that the content of what we need to be giving. Everything he's commanded. It's within the 66 books that you have. All that's lacking is you. Me. We. Us. So the challenge is, you hear this, Does it change you? I'll give you your two options. You walk out of here and say, hey, it's got pretty good teaching skills. Yeah, yeah, I like that jazz. Radio, song later, sonic drink, it's gone. It's like surfing the internet if you do church that way. We read about all these catastrophes and it will desensitize you. It will train you to not give a rip. If you're going to read the newspaper, if you're going to watch the news, you better be on your knees these days. You need to be praying through these issues because otherwise they're just coming in and going out, and you're just thinking, ah, that's normal. You need to be praying, engaged. Let nothing come into your mind. So that's option one. See you next week. Option two. Believe that what the Bible says, where I've represented it, not my silly illustrations, but where we've looked at Bible, is true. Believe that he has a plan for you. Believe that he is with you. Believe that he has given you content to know, to learn, and to teach. Believe that he wants you to spread out and go. Believe that he has put you in this place, in this generation, for such a time as this to make a difference where I can't get to because you're there and I'm not. And to live on point. This morning, this evening, I've given you nothing new. Nothing at all. We're just taking some vitamins. We're just gathering for some stale hot dogs. But this is Christianity. This is worship. It's us living our lives out in a way that is glorifying to him. It is receiving his power within us and spreading it wherever he would like it is living in a risky way and in, in watching him work you may be ridiculed i'm i'm not going to say you won't you you may be defriended on all kinds of social media You may not get liked. Honestly, I said this morning, don't do it on social media. Find somebody and sit with them. Bring the humanity into it. Show them that you care enough to get face-to-face with them. And weep if you have to. But let them know that they need Jesus as you needed Jesus. And that not only do they need him for salvation, but they need him for this life as well. That purpose is found. In the Great Commission, purpose is found in making him Lord. He is holy, holy, holy. This church desires to get you to where you need to be. If you don't know the pathway to that, man, call me, text me, email me, whatever. Find someone on staff, because I promise you, there's a place for you, and there's a purpose for you inside of this church and outside in these fields that are ripe for harvest. And you will find a life that is crazy blessed, even though it may be a bit suffering at times that in that suffering you will find these tears of joy that exist in a profound relationship that you'll have with Jesus Christ. Father, so much more to say. And yet, Lord, this is the time we've been given I pray, Father, that the time of fellowship would spur on conversations of figuring this out. Learning how to love you and love others. To care enough to engage. To trust that you are who you are. And Father, to find the joy of living the purpose for which we were created. And let us be salt and light, a smile, a touch of love, in a way that you can use to change whoever it is you lead us to. Make us bold. Give us courage. Amen.